Well, as a young boy, uh, I grew up in El Paso, and my friends and I, as young kids, would sometimes get a hold of big pieces of cardboard. And the point was to turn those pieces of cardboard into sleds in order to slide down steep hills on the sides of nearby mesas. I'll never forget one day, it was my turn, I sat down on the edge of an incredibly steep hill. My friend Tom gave me a push, and down the hill I went fast. As I hooted and hollered and tried to hide my fear, I lost control and went flying into a variety of cacti. Ocotillos, prickly pears, and worst of all, lechuguillas, also known as the shin dagger. So on the way to the hospital, my friend told me that I, that I looked like a porcupine. <laughs> He's still my friend 62 years later, but anyway. Despite that day, I still love cacti, and like juniper trees that grow on the sides of cliffs, cacti have an astonishing ability to thrive, even flourish in the toughest of conditions. And I'm learning in life that it's possible to flourish even when things are hard, and we're in those desert places in which we feel emotionally parched. We certainly, collectively and individually, have been through a lot over the last few years. And while many are still reeling, and life is incredibly challenging for a lot of folks still, we are spending our Sundays this Lent exploring how together we might flourish just a little bit more. And while related, each Sunday's sermon in Lent about flourishing does stand on its own. So just for a few very brief moments, I want to give us an overview of some general things to keep in mind that we covered last week in some detail. Just going to kind of skim across the surface. And that is that the point of this series is to explore what it means to flourish, some ways that we can flourish, what flourishing is and what it's not, and what our faith tells us about flourishing. You may remember that to flourish means to be like a plant that busts out and blooms, even in tough conditions. From one source, an adapted form, flourishing is about how we live, love, and relate to each other. It's about living an authentic life that brings us joy. It's about being connected to life's passions and the gifts that we have been given by God. And I would add that ultimately flourishing is about our relationship with Jesus. Scripture is clear. God wants us to flourish. And there's so many stories in Scripture that highlight this. Also in the secular world, as I talked about, the field of psychology has demonstrated over the last 20 years or so that it's possible for us to flourish. And so many studies highlight ways for us to flourish, all of which are consistent with our faith and with Scripture. We can certainly flourish if we're intentional about it. We can flourish in challenging times. That said, flourishing, as I mentioned, is not about denying that life is hard or about becoming disengaged from pain or distress. It's not about being Pollyannish. When we flourish, we've got to confront tough stuff. I also mentioned that flourishing is not the strategy to deal with an acute crisis that's happening. When we're in a crisis, there are lots of other things to keep in mind first. So this week, I want to continue talking about flourishing. And what I'd like to do is to get into the whole idea of compassion, and specifically self-compassion. And to help us get started, I believe it's helpful to look at two pieces of very well-known scripture. And the first letter of John is the well-known verse, God is love. 
The very nature of God is love. And then in Matthew's Gospel, something we talk about all the time, Jesus said, love God and love others as yourself. Love others as yourself. In other words, love yourself. And Jesus said that the point of it all is love, loving God, loving others, but giving equal attention to the loving ourselves part. It's part of what our faith journey is about. And I believe that it's crystal clear that just as God seeks our compassion and wants us to be compassionate towards others, God wants each of us to work toward becoming more self-compassionate. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus faithfully. Well, the good news about this subject is that a lot has come out over the last 20 years. There's a psychologist, Kristen Neff, you may have read her works, whose work I greatly admire. And I want to just share some of her insights about compassion, most specifically self-compassion. She defines self-compassion as follows. Self-compassion involves wanting health and well-being for oneself, and it leads to proactive behavior to one's situation rather than passivity. Self-compassion does not mean my problems are more important than yours, but it means that my problems are also important and worthy of being attended to. In my view, this is totally consistent with our faith journey and our desire to follow Jesus more fully. Now, before going on, I'd like to point out that some people are really good about being compassionate toward themselves. And for this, I give great thanks, and I learn from them who are really good at it. Conversely, some people have such massive egos, they wouldn't even understand what I'm talking about this morning. Ironically, having a big ego and feeding it is the antithesis of self-compassion, in part because big egos separate us from other people. Having said this, I believe that many of us could use at least a dose of some self-compassion. And some of us, I believe, could really learn to flourish if we recognize our own need to increase our self-compassion. Self-compassion is certainly something I continue to work on and will for the rest of my life. You know, tragically, so many Christians over the years focus on and talk about how bad and how, bad and how terrible we are as people instead of how loved we are by God. These same voices speak of how you and I, more than anything, deserve punishment and the wrath of God and the anger of God. Rather, I believe, than the compassion that God has for us and seeks for us to have for ourselves and others. This does not mean we don't blow it or sin or miss the mark sometimes. We all do and sometimes in very big ways. Self-compassion does not mean we should not be honest with God, others, and ourselves about our missteps. We all make them. But there are vastly different ways we can deal with this truth. We can self-flagellate, self-criticize, and beat ourselves up until our spirits are bloodied. Or we can turn to our loving God who forgives, accept God's love and forgiveness, turn back to God, alter our actions, live in response to God's forgiveness, and be compassionate towards ourselves when we fail. 
I have some questions. When you make a mistake or fall down or blow it, how do you talk to yourself? Are you judgmental towards yourself? Are you self-critical? Do you speak to yourself in the way you would speak to a friend you love dearly? Are you kind and gentle and empathic with yourself? Are the words you use towards yourself reflective of what Jesus would say to you? These are such vital questions to explore. and They're part of what flourishing is about. I must also say again that self-compassion is not about denying our mistakes or faults or sins. As Kristen Neff writes with slight adaptations, we might temporarily feel better about ourselves ignoring our weaknesses and flaws and mistakes or believing our issues are someone else's fault. But in the long run, we harm ourselves when we do such things. Self-compassion is not about denial or some Pollyannish way of responding to our faux pas. It's all about loving ourselves as God does in spite of it all. Remember Jesus said, love God and love others as you love yourself. Sometimes we're so quick to dismiss that third part of loving ourselves as God does. I also want to note that self-compassion is not some ego-building, narcissistic, self-help exercise or approach to life. It's about loving ourselves as God does. And do you know that if, if we can get off the wheel of being judgmental and critical of ourselves, it helps us move away from being judgmental and critical of other people, which is precisely what Jesus would have us do. Now, Kristen Neff notes that there are three key components of self-compassion. Self-kindness, recognizing our common and shared humanity, and mindfulness. And I want to very briefly explore each in turn. First, the self-kindness piece. A key way to show compassion to ourselves is very simply to be kind to ourselves. Are you kind to yourself? in your actions, the words that you use when you think of yourself. Self-compassion is about offering comforting thoughts to be empathic with ourselves, to show sympathy toward ourselves, and to seek ways to soothe our distress. Self-compassion is all about recognizing self-critical, harsh thoughts and to replace them with words we would offer a dear friend. Self-compassion is all about being honest with what we're feeling and asking ourselves what we really need from ourselves. I think it's kind of like envisioning, it's not my idea, it's been around a long time, it's kind of like envisioning ourselves as a young child and taking that child's hand and comforting that child with words and actions. It's about gently putting a hand over your heart as Jesus does when you're in pain. I think of the image Jesus used when in Matthew's gospel, he said that he was like a mother hen that wanted to gather up chicks under his wings. That's compassion. And the kind of compassion Jesus invites us to offer ourselves. 
the bottom line, how do we treat those we love the most when they are struggling? Do we do the same with ourselves? Now, I realize that for some of us, this is hard to do. And sometimes we need help in getting to that point. Help from others. Help from people of faith. Help from therapists. Help from people at the chapel. It's not an easy thing to do to be self-compassionate sometimes. But it's precisely what God calls us to do. It's one way in which we love ourselves as we love others. So I invite you to get into all this material. Kristen Neff has great books. I mean, there's so much on it in the web. Uh, Just dig into it. A second key component of self-compassion, however, has to do with recognizing our common humanity. And this is so important. The word compassion, as you know, means to suffer with. To suffer with means that compassion is relational. Self-compassion is relational. Neff writes, self-compassion honors the fact that all human beings are fallible. The wrong choices and feelings of regret that come along with them are inevitable for all people. The true, this is true no matter how high and mighty a person is. I love this. She notes the the well-known saying that says a a clear conscience is a sign of a very bad memory. We all make mistakes. It's okay. It's okay for us to make mistakes at the chapel. And with each other, we're human beings. Our imperfection points to our need for Jesus the only one who is perfect. The other, I, I like country music, not all the time, but some of the time. The other day I was listening to a country station and I heard this song, I can't even remember who or whose it is or who sang it, but the lyrics made me cringe. They went something like, every prayer in my life has been answered and every dream I've had has been realized. I thought to myself, really? (laughs) It's not only unrealistic, untenable, and a fantasy, but they're harmful words. Because that's not what being human is about. What we feel, what we experience, our reactions to our mistakes and failures, such things are shared by people across cultures. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody feels badly, unless you have some monumental massive ego. Neff also points out that self-pity is saying, poor me. But self-compassion is remembering that everyone suffers and we're all in the same boat. You see, when we forget that we're all human beings, when we forget what we share as human beings, and get us to a place where our perspective gets distorted and we end up feeling isolated or unique in our own suffering, and we can end up feeling insecure and separate from others rather than recognizing our shared humanity. But when we compassionately remind ourselves that failure and suffering is part of the human experience, it helps us to become kinder to ourselves. Just a couple of other points on this. Comparing our own suffering with the suffering of others is not helpful. 
Also, when we limit our sense of humanity to certain groups, we end up diminishing compassion. We end up hurting ourselves. We end up hurting others. And we end up being not like Jesus. For example, if we limit our sense of shared humanity to fellow Republicans or Democrats or evangelicals or conservatives or liberals or progressives or those in the vast middle, we end up not embracing the truth that every person is a card-carrying member of the human race. And our compassion for others and ourselves declines. My dad has been gone 23 years now. I remember as a young kid, I don't think I got it then, but I certainly have got it now. He used to say, Robert, always remember, we all put our pants on the same way. He was trying to teach me to never forget that people are people. We're all people, no matter what we look like or who we are. We all put our pants on in the same way. Well, the final piece of compassion, self-compassion, has to do with mindfulness. This is a huge subject, so I'm just going to skirt across the top. But I do want to point out that unlike what some people say, mindfulness is totally consistent with our Christian faith. One example that points to mindfulness we heard in our psalm this morning, here are some various versions of it. I meditate on your precepts, O God. That's mindfulness. Other versions say, I ponder every morsel of your word, O God. Pondering is mindfulness. Or God, I have thought a lot about your word. That's being very intentional. Mindfulness really is all about stopping and paying attention and pondering. It's about noticing our thoughts and feelings rather than simply having them. Here's an example that Neff uses. Imagine you're going to a movie. You're in the theater. You get totally engrossed in the movie, so much so you forget you're even in a movie theater. You just experience the film. But then somebody sneezes or the person next to you bumps you. You're no longer totally engrossed in the film, but you realize you're in a movie theater. You're watching a movie, but you're in a movie theater with people around you with sights and sounds and smells. And you notice them. You remember where you are. Mindfulness is kind of like that. It's, it's stepping out of, outside of being so engrossed in your own thoughts and feelings, and instead you notice that you're having a thought and feeling. It's about saying, I'm sad. It's not just feeling sad. It's about saying to ourselves, I feel sad. I, I feel sad in my chest. My, my, my body feels heavy. I feel weight. I, my legs are not energized. It's, it's hard to move. I'm having a hard time. So it's not just having the feeling. It's noting the feeling and pondering about it and commenting internally about it. And mindfulness is about noticing and exploring what we're thinking and feeling. This is important without judgment. It's not, I'm so sad. Boy, what a, I'm so, so weak. <laughs> or what's wrong with me? It's just noticing it without judgment. Simply observing it. And this helps us with perspective. And it helps us to slow down so that we have the opportunity to be kind and compassionate to ourselves. Mindfulness might 
instead of just having a hard time, feeling overwhelmed, it might be something like, God, I'm having a hard time. I feel tense. My, my heart's racing. I notice my bra- breathing is really shallow. Got all this tingling. I've really been through a lot. It's okay. It's okay. Gosh, this is really hard. I want it to be okay. It's going to be okay, Robert. It's going to be okay. People love you. People care about you. A lot of people go through this. God loves you. God forgives you. That's a mindful way of experiencing something. Instead of just, God, I'm just, I'm just, instead of just having the feeling, it's noticing the feeling, paying attention to it. It slows us down and gives us the opportunity to be compassionate. Again, this is a huge subject, so I'm skirting across the top, but it's worth getting into. Self-compassion. God invites you today to ramp it up. And again, you may need help in doing so, but God invites you to ramp it up. God wants us to be like that cactus out in the desert that just thrives and flourishes even when it's dry as heck outside. God wants you to be like that cactus that puts its thorns in Robert's side as he's going down the hill on a piece of cardboard. So explore this topic. Ponder what we've talked about this morning. And I want to close with this image in prayer. So in prayer right now, I I want you to envision however it comes to you. I just want you to envision Jesus right next to you. Looking at you. Looking into your eyes. Those piercing eyes that know everything about you. What does Jesus say to you this morning about being compassionate toward yourself and loving yourself as God does, as he does? So let's spend a few moments in silent prayer with that image of Jesus and receive what Jesus has to say to us about learning to love ourselves more.